Welcome back to HTM Insider. Thanks for tuning in today and listening. My name is Sherelle. I'm sponsored by Multi Medical Systems. We bring this podcast to you every month. I'm happy to report that we are just getting more exciting guests every time we turn around. I'm so thrilled today to have on Pete. Pete's with Moffitt Cancer Center and the Director of Enterprise Technology. And we're going to talk about AI today. Now, some of it scares me. Some of it confuses me, and we hope to like dive into how it fixes, maybe or addresses problems in the healthcare technology field. So, Pete, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, Cheryl. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm I'm Pete Daddy. I'm the uh, director of enterprise technology, as you stated, at Moffitt Cancer Center, uh, down in Tampa, Florida. Nice and balmy. Um, just getting through hurricane season here, um, which certainly offers challenges. Um, and I've been in uh, IT for probably 20 plus years or so, and certainly seen a, an interesting lexicon uh, of how technology has changed over the years, and uh, especially when I started um, right in the late 90s. So, it, and now to AI, and to your point before, um, AI is scary. It scares me too. <laughs> yeah, you know, gosh, I'm going to date myself a little bit. I think you're going to kind of be with me on this. I remember thinking artificial intelligence was CP3O, R2D2. That's what, I mean, originally when it first came out, we're like robots can talk and move. And even though it's on the big screen, but now we can do that, right? But according to what AI is to the healthcare technology field, to healthcare in general, let's dive in on that. Like, what are we using it for currently? and maybe what you're using it for personally in, in your facility. Sure. So I, I think AI is really starting to hit from a healthcare perspective in the sense of what are all the different things, how AI can help, how can it help augment? And I think there's a lot of trepidation um, because there's a lot of ethical questions. However, um, what we're trying to get to is let's not replace everything with AI. Let's go down and find things and find processes and find ways that AI could be very helpful. And we're starting to see some of this in our clinical space. And there's a lot of stories of just clinicians and nurses and other clinical professionals that are just overworked and spend so much time with patients and spend so much time with patient records. So some of the areas that our facility and many other healthcare organizations are, how can AI help clinical professionals be better or more efficient with things like clinical notes and patient records. Dictation. Dictation's been, uh, a dictation of notes has been a thing for quite a while. But how do we get it into those medical records? How can it help augment to say if, you know, there's pajama time, which is where clinicians after dinner, usually at home, will spend hours upon hours doing uh, dictation of notes uh, and updating cases. How can we bring that down to a shorter time? How can AI help with that? And maybe, hey, during a clinical or patient session, those notes that are taken, maybe they could be added into a record using AI. And then a doctor or a nurse can go in after and, and just edit, make sure, you know, that's exactly what we needed or here are some of the edits and really take that time down from hours to maybe say 30 minutes. Um, and some of the other things too are how do we help with the patient experience? What type of technology can we use to help augment some of those patient activities and make the patient experience um, you know, much more valuable. And especially in the medical field and here at Moffitt Cancer Center, when we have a patient, it's a really traumatic and, and 
potentially grieving experience when it comes to cancer. So how do we take that extra step to make that patient experience as comfortable as possible, not just for the patient, but also for the caregiver. So we're starting to use technology and to help the patient experience there as well with some of our smart rooms. So those are a few of the activities that we are looking at right now and starting to implement. So if I'm a patient and I hear of AI and maybe I'm not tech savvy and thinking that the doctor's taking notes with AI behind it. I know that right now, every time I'm typing something and I'm in certain um, platforms, it said, would you like to respond using AI? And I will, sometimes I'll click it. I'm like, ah, that's not at all what I would say. So as a patient, how should the patient feel about it? Should they feel comfortable? Should they feel that this is accurate? And is it secure? Very good question. And I think that's where the ethical part comes in, in the sense of putting the brakes on certain activities, but also let's assess where that right sweet spot is, if you will. And I think what we're seeing is with clinical notes that they're not exactly input into the patient record automatically. What happens is, is let's create a summary of these notes and then have that clinical professional, whether it's a nurse or a doctor, review those notes and then approve those notes. Um, and I think that is one way that we're starting to see um, some uh, opportunity of really expanding in that space. But in the sense of the doctor still has to approve it or the nurse still has to approve it. So it's not, to your point, um, with having translation happening, there will be bugs. There will be words that are not translated properly, but then that gives the opportunity for that clinical professional to review those notes, to be able to either save, uh, edit, change, and then be able to enter them in, but it's still the time saver. So I think we're looking in those spaces um, and then also working with patients if there are those types of questions, we could still do it, quote unquote, the old fashioned way. So when you say um, these notes, doesn't AI need the information to be able to generate it? And how is it being fed into that stream of information? Because it's only as accurate as, it, as we give the information, correct? Correct. There's a lot of partnerships that are happening um, between electronic medical records and companies like Microsoft and AWS, that they're partnering to be able to broker that conversation in the sense of using a third-party technology or an application to be able to, to either do the translation or have the platform understanding of this is healthcare data, how can it be translated in a way, whether it's dictionaries or having information that is brought in to be able to help to do those translations. Um, and another step too, um, and especially at a cancer center like the one that I work at, um, patient records are just enormous. Because when we get a patient that comes to uh, Moffitt, they're usually coming with a whole notebook or a whole bundle, a lot of historic data. They've gone to the general practitioner, they may go to um, specialists, and then they, I hate to say, end up coming to a cancer center because they've gone pretty deep into their uh, treatment and, and, their, uh, and their medical plan. So how taking that information also and being able to put that into a medical record that we have, we're starting to look at AI for those opportunities as well. So that can help bridge that gap to your point 
to say, if we're saying certain keywords, not me, but if doctors are saying certain keywords, there's already a dictionary of information there, or there could be what's called a heat map of that type of information that's already in the patient record to help either emphasize or enforce it. It's very interesting, right? And is the is, is it the possibility that the system itself will start to learn and generate its own knowledge as it's being fed that information? I mean, we've all seen the movies where the computer gets smarter and starts doing its own diagnosis of the patient. Is there anything that we could be worried about there? Certainly. And I think that's where those boundaries have to be put in place to say, if we have AI and it has all of this data to work with, can it come up with diagnosis and diagnoses, if you will? I'm sure it can. I'm not a medical professional, but I'm sure there's enough data to say if all of these data points are there, it can determine a diagnosis. The key is, and I've talked to many colleagues, especially from my side being a technologist, of colleagues in the, on the medical and nursing side to say, this helps enforce uh, patient plans, if you will, and patient diagnosis. Um, what we're doing at Moffitt is actually, just to pivot slightly, we're actually using a lot of imaging data to help with um, uh, cancer treatment options in the sense that we're putting in all this data, a lot of historic imaging, a lot of historic data, and it's running models to say, let's say we've got 10,000 patient records and all of these patients had a particular type of cancer. Let's feed all that data and have AI run models to say, here are outcomes, here are possible markers, here are things to look for, here's historical genetic information that can help output um, because we are also a, a full research facility as well. So it's helped augmenting our clinical practice. But with that said, it, it is helping our researchers receive these results from AI to make better decisions to say, you know what, out of these 10,000 patients who have this particular cancer, we can now predict patterns to help with treatments, to help find the cancer earlier and things like that to really help our medical professionals. So my job as a tech as a technologist is how can I help bring technology to run these tests, to do these things, to run these exams, to be able to feed all this data, to make sure all this data is there that these tests can be run. Right. You know, that's really interesting. I think if we're able to share that data across the U.S., across the nation, across the world, a lot of people could benefit from that, right? Absolutely. And that is actually one of the outputs that we're looking to achieve is let's take all of our data and be able to model it and then have a monetization opportunity and a shareable opportunity. But first we have to make sure it's de-identified. And then so we're actually working on an AI process to feed in all this patient information, then to be able to de-identify it because then that makes it shareable to be able to use for research. So let's de-identify the data then let's use AI again to make sure the data is de-identified. And then once it's de-identified, it can be put into, we'll call it a data pool that can be shared amongst other organizations, other research organizations, other healthcare organizations um, to help drive better research, better outcomes. And to your point, absolutely sharing that data and hopefully finding cures for cancer.
Yeah. Wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, that'd be, that'd be amazing, Pete. Um, what about this smart room? You, you kind of piqued my curiosity because I really think the patient experience helps healing. How a patient feels in their room helps them get better quicker, recover quicker. Tell me about that. Sure. So we actually just opened up a, a new hospital um, about five weeks ago. And in this new hospital, we have, to your point, smart rooms. Um, so the smart rooms have a lot of technology in them to help um, bring a better patient experience. We have uh, Amazon Echoes, so um, patients and our family members can ask, I'll say Alexa, hopefully it doesn't make anybody's Alexa go off, um, but ask to be, able to, ask, to be able to ask questions and to be able to do things like maybe order food or change the channels on the TV. Um, we also have um, virtual uh, whiteboard. So in typical, or I don't want to say old fashioned patient rooms, there's a whiteboard at the foot wall of the patient and doctors and nurses will come in and, and scribe notes. Who is your nurse today? Um, are there any fall risks and things like that? Well, we now have a digital display to, to show all this information. And we also have, um, we use a system called RTLS for tracking. So when a nurse or a doctor walks into the room, they have a badge on, it will automatically display their name to say, this is um, who your nurse is or who your doctor is. Um, and what the goal of it is, is with other things as well, is to typically in a hospital room, it's always been a cold and you know really just kind of dire situation. We're trying to make it more, make it feel like more of a home, you know, and it's not just for the patient as well. We have also brought in technology like tablets to help with caregivers. We also have a very nice uh, couch that has a bed that allows caregivers who will probably be spending quite a bit of time in those rooms with their family member, with their friend, and be able to give them entertainment options and for them to be able to relax and enjoy as much as they can especially in a situation where somebody's going through some level of cancer treatment. So we have enabled these technologies and we're actually looking at how can we do more? We're looking at virtual visits to where, let's say we have family members who are not uh, local. They're across the country. Well, let's use camera and have them come in and do a quick video, but have it quick. Not They don't need to go through a number of steps, just have it readily available. Yeah, that'd be awesome. You know, I lost both my parents to cancer and being a caregiver um, during those those patient times in my mom's room, my dad's room, and even at home, there was so much information like I had to pass along or regurgitate and maybe how they were feeling and what they were feeling. Do you see that AI can also help that experience that would benefit the clinician on knowing maybe what's going on at home or, or what the caregiver is experiencing with the patient. Absolutely. And I, I think the key is to make sure all the data is available. But to your point, it's how do you display it or provide it to the caregiver, the family member, or the patient themselves and not have data overload. And I think that's one thing that we're working on at, <clears throat> Excuse me, as part of that patient experience is using the technology we have in the room to be able to provide the patient and, and or caregiver the information that they need, making sure all the data is available. However, this is just what they're looking for, whether it's what's their treatment plan, what is their aftercare visit, here are the things that you need to do uh, when you get discharged, uh, but do it in a way that does not overload the patient. 
and then be able to have a continuum of care with uh, what we're doing is called digital front door, where then a patient can access our portal outside of the hospital, outside of the clinical area to continue that care. Here's your discharge information. Here's your six month follow-up and have all that information. But again, not have it in a way that's at their fingertips, but it's also not overwhelming. So, and also working on that to help um, the patient, but also the patient provide that feedback and make it better each time. You know, I really like that. Um, you feel pretty alone sometimes. You, you kind of forget information. We kept a notebook. And I feel like this part of technology is really going to help streamline that. And we hear different, right? You and I could be in the same room with the same doctor, and we hear to totally two different things. So I think that would be helpful as well. And, you know, we Google everything, right? So having this information more readily available from a clinician's perspective directly relating to that patient, I think would be more beneficial. Definitely. And I think with the technology that we're providing to be able to build that out efficiently to really have particular um, overviews per patient, if you will, you know, for the per patient experience, <coughs> excuse me, um, this can help because to your point, some can really absorb the information well, and some cannot. Some may be coming in as a cancer patient, just completely thinking of so many different things, unfortunately, because they're going through maybe one of the most traumatic things they'll ever go through in their life. But how do we make it where the information is available, but give that patient and or caregiver the opportunity to digest it when they want and how they want? You know, maybe it's, I just need a summary. And I know there are companies that are working with our uh, medical records platforms to be able to provide augmented note opportunities for that to say, I just need a one-liner of what my expectations are when it comes to my um, medical diagnosis. Or, you know what, give me the full, complete um, overview of what my uh, plan is, and then have AI potentially help with that and drive to say, you know, Cheryl, here's what works for you, Pete, here's what works for you, and have it be more personalized. That's great. So how long did it take at your center? I know I've heard, I've been asking a lot of questions out there. You know, people are using it, like you say, in imaging, and people are tiptoeing into the water, so to speak. Um, how long did it take your center to trust the data, your clinicians to trust? How, what, what was the time frame like? Did you walk in the door? Was it you bringing it in? Tell me a little bit of that background and where you're at now. I think we're, we're still going through some proof of concepts, if you will, because, um, and I think it's, when it comes to the trust, I think it's the amount of data that needs to be input, if you will. And again, being um, a cancer specialty uh, organization, the amount of data we have is tremendously high per patient. So while you can go certainly to an ambulatory center, and there's plenty of data there as well, not to, <laughs> to minimize that, but I think for cancer patients, because of the totality of data, we're trying to find where that value is. Is it when it's an initial diagnosis where a patient comes in the first time? Or is it through treatment plans and taking all that data that comes through treatments, follow-ups, and then the continuation of that because there is a history now. I think we're trying to figure out where the sweet spot is, if you will. 
Um, and based on some of the feedback I've received, um, I think that's where we're trying to go is where is that, again, sweet spot. Um, but it, it, it really is what's the availability of the data. Um, and because of the large amount of it, we're still trying to get it loaded into the system, if you will. So we're making strides, um, but it, it's it's probably going to take some time. Yeah. And I was just thinking while you were talking about that is pharmaceuticals, the pharmacists at the hospital, always trying to create that right cocktail, maybe for an infection, you know, and cancer patients, you know, deal a lot with that. Pharmacists are, they're very specialized. I've seen it firsthand, what they can create to combat a lot of things, including pseudomonas, let's say. And it's a little bit different in every case, and they've got to find out what works. Do you see the clinical and the pharmaceutical aspect coming together using AI, sharing that information? I would say there's a definitive possibility. And I think the big driver for that will be the data. You know, to say, here's all this data of patient history and patient records, and to be able to say, if we've got a patient who's got these either symptoms or a patient who has this history, the AI generation will be able to, 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 to do predictive capabilities to say this type of either drug or this type of outcome is probably the best for this case. And I think that's going to help a lot of our researchers as we move forward. So I think it's really getting a lot of that historical data and using AI to be able to model appropriately for pharmacists to, quote unquote, try different things. And I think that's certainly going to help in the cancer space with some of the clinical trials that we see. And to your point, coming up with different drug cocktails to maybe help combat cancers, if you will. So uh, I definitely see that helping driving towards better outcomes in the future. Yeah, I can see that as a big benefit, and especially when we can start to share that information with one another, other facilities across the United States. Now, that technology infrastructure, where did you start building it, and how is it now, and what, how is it driving your AI process? So one of the challenges with healthcare is we're not necessarily up to speed or you know, ahead of the curve when it comes to technology. So with that, I think it's bolstering the opportunity for us to say we've got legacy information, legacy systems, and it's really forcing us as technologists to find new ways to keep technology up to date. So with that being said, we're using um, more of cloud opportunities and using more cloud applications, and we're starting to put more data in the cloud because it makes it a little bit more robust shareable, as we were saying, with uh, the potential for shareable data. Um, and we're using, we're starting to look at AI to be able to augment just some of our technology processes. We've got to update our systems and our servers. How do we automate that with AI? So even though we're talking about very robust clinical and medical opp opportunities, we're looking at AI to just do some keep the lights on activities from a technology perspective. I'll give you a quick example that I had one of our administrators uh, who's on one of my teams, he was trying to write a script to build a report. Because um, then I asked for him, he said, you know what, I'm gonna go into ChatGPT and have ChatGPT provide the script. Certainly provide it within five seconds, copied the script into uh, his program, and 30 seconds later he had a report. So it's those types of little scenarios that are also refining the benefit of AI. And it's building those 
small steps into the bigger ones to help with technology to help drive those things moving forward. So I think it's elevating our maturity through AI to get kind of past the challenges we've had with trying to update technology, if you will. Yeah, so I'm going to ask a million-dollar question for our listeners. How does AI affect the biomed, the BMED? How is this going to affect them, and do you see that integration in the future? I certainly think there's the potential for it, and I think the biggest challenge is going to be the security and ethics around it. But I think there will definitely be opportunities for the biomed space and technology space to be able to work to help use that type of equipment, use those types of programs to be able to have better patient outcomes. And I think it may it may continue on a smaller scale to bring bigger results instead of going for, you know, the big one, then having all the issues of, well, there's security questions and things. But let's start on smaller scales and build from there. So, and I think if we can find the right use cases to move forward, it will definitely have a positive effect. Yeah, I agree. I mean, do you trust AI? So my motto is trust but verify. Um, And I use AI for certain things, but I don't use AI to make decisions. I use AI to help me make decisions. So I look for AI to help augment either activities or processes that are time consuming to help me with better outcomes. So for me, it's trust, but verify. I think AI is a great tool. and I think it's a great opportunity to be able to emphasize some things that we're doing, but we still need the human contact and the human part of it to be able to make the right decisions. So would that be your word of wisdom for this episode? Trust, but verify. I can't say that enough. Absolutely. I mean, it, that's, that's so true, but isn't that true of everything in life? Absolutely. And I can give you one quick example that is in, uh, not in the healthcare space, but there was a story back in June where there was a law firm that used chat GPT to build out their closing argument for a case. And I don't remember the particulars of the case, but come to find out that the data they used to build out that closing argument was actually bad data. So when they went to do their closing argument, it was sound, but it didn't work because they were referencing cases that didn't exist. So I always use that as my example to say, trust, but verify. Use the tools, absolutely. There's so many ways to use AI these days but we have to build that trust in. We just have to verify what the outcomes are. You've heard it here today, listen, listeners, with AI, trust, but verify. That's the takeaway from this. And I think it's so exciting, Pete, and I really appreciate you coming on because I know this is such a popular subject on many platforms, not just healthcare, but what could it do for cancer research? What could it do in the healthcare space so people aren't as sick for as long, or maybe we get to a place where we prevent it. Maybe we can prevent cancer. That would be amazing. We can cure it. That'd be amazing. Um, Too many people suffer out there, and so I think AI is a great opportunity for all of us to learn from. But as Pete said today, trust but verify. Thanks so much, Pete, for coming on. Thank you, Shirelle. I really appreciate the time. I hope we get to meet in person someday down in Tampa. And um, hopefully you have no more hurricanes in your future. 
I hope not. <laughs> yes, I, and I've, I've heard, you know, I have some friends in that area and some of them got hit hard, some spots were missed and, you know, we're all sending you positive thoughts down, down there in Florida. Thank you. So. And you're always welcome to sunny, balmy Tampa. Yeah, <laughs> I will be there. I will be there soon, I promise. So you guys follow us any place you listen to your podcast. You know, we're on every every place you can find us, Spotify. I think it's called Apple Music now and not iTunes anymore, YouTube. You can always find all of our episodes hosted on our website at multimedicalsystems.com. If you're interested in becoming a guest or you have a topic you'd like us to cover, please reach out to me. Again, Pete, thanks for coming on, and uh, we look forward to seeing everyone next time on HTM Insider.